Welcome to Solving for B, your podcast for all things branding and marketing. In this episode, we're covering web accessibility. With lawsuits on the rise, it's critical for businesses to understand the risks associated with having an inaccessible website. Plus, our experts will share some tips and resources to help you make your website accessible. So sit back and enjoy this week's edition of Solving for B. Hello and welcome into Solving for B. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and we're excited to be back after a brief hiatus, but we've got some great episodes that we'll be rolling out over the next few months, so uh, be on the lookout for those. Uh, and speaking of great episodes, we have a pretty fantastic one for you today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about website accessibility and why it's important to your brand. And to help me address this topic, I'm joined by Director of Brand Experience here at Brand Extract, the wonderful Cynthia Stepech. Thank you, Chris. Hi. And our Vice President of Software Engineering and resident expert on accessibility, Donovan Buck. Hi, Chris. Thanks for lending us a little bit of your time today, guys. Uh, so I want to dive right in, and I think the best place to start is defining exactly what we're talking about when we talk about website accessibility. Uh, so Donovan, can you at a high level define what we mean when we're talking about website accessibility? Sure. For uh, a website to be accessible, it needs to, to work well with assistive technologies, uh, things like screen readers. You want to make sure that you've accommodated all the things that a user will need to um, well, the WCAG puts it well when they say uh, perceive, operate, understand, and that the website be robust. Those are the requirements for something to to do that and work well with uh, with assistive technologies like that. Yeah, and you mentioned screen readers. Um, one thing in pre-show, I, screen readers, I assume, is is probably the most common technology we're talking assistive technology right. when we're talking about accessibility. But when we were prepping for the episode. Uh, we talked about a couple other ones. Can you talk just real briefly about some of the others? You know, sure. So, so beyond screen readers, you have other other technologies that assist people with different disabilities. Um, it could be something as simple as uh, a transcript uh, for a video, or it could be something a little more uh, uh, exotic. Uh, it could be a, a sip and puff mechanism to to control a mouse interaction. So there are a lot of uh, different devices out there to help people with different disabilities. Yeah, so that so that makes our job uh, as we're you know building websites um, more difficult, um, or I guess it's just a lot more things to consider, right? Um, if we're talking, you know, with, if we're optimizing for screen readers, we got to make sure that you know there's it's not just screen readers we're optimizing for. It's it's the whole gamut of assistive technologies. Right. A, a lot of those assistive technologies work well with the metaphor of a, of a mouse and click, right? The, those actually lend themselves well. The one that is kind of more difficult to, to accommodate is screen readers because it's a completely different way of communicating the information. Interesting, yeah, that that, that makes sense. Um, so when we were you know, in, in the pre-show meetings and stuff, we talked about uh, different ways to frame up this topic, and, and one of the ones that came up was the uh, dominoes or the potential dominoes Supreme Court case. Um, so Donovan, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening there, and and you know, kind of lay the you know set the set the groundwork for us? Sure, I think I think it started with a case last year in California where someone who was trying to uh, order a pizza uh, using the Domino's app uh, was not able to do so, and they weren't able to use the website either. Um, Domino's had done a pretty a bad job of making their website accessible to people using screen readers. So they were sued in California, and, and uh, Domino's lost the initial court case. Um, uh, the judge ruled that uh, the website was covered under the ADA as part of their facilities. 
Um, so they appealed that ruling, took it to the Ninth, ninth District Court, and the Ninth District ruled that the website and the, and the app were in fact extensions of Domino's facilities, so that they were covered. And they sent it back to the lower court, lower courts for the lower court to decide what the the, the how how they should you know what the, what the consequences would be and how right. they should proceed, how should they should remediate. Well, Domino's uh, chose to uh, petition the Supreme Court for that case to be heard, and we're still waiting to to hear whether the case is going to go to the Supreme Court. Um, I'm hopeful that it does. I'd like to see some action there, but uh, we won't know till the fall. Well, and and you mentioned. Um you know, being part of Domino's facilities, for example. And the reason why that's important is because the ADA explicitly states that your facilities um, need right. to be up, uh, accessible by all, right? With yes. those with disabil- that's disabilities right. and that's such. That's right. So the ADA is old enough that it doesn't explicitly mention websites, but it does mention facilities. So that's where that's where the argument beca- comes in, is, is the website part of your facilities. And Right now, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there are more. There's more attention being paid to the, to the ADA in terms of websites than any time before. Yeah, um, I, I think. Uh, well, the number of suits are, are are going up. It's not quite a hockey stick, but it's a it's a slope of increasing <laughs> steepness. Yeah. Um, so there are significantly more um, ADA related lawsuits this year over websites than there were last, and the same was true the year before that. So the number is going up significantly. Okay. So um, with, with that being kind of laid out, um, you know, the, the fact that ADA lawsuits are on the rise for websites, um, what can we do to, to stop, you know, or to, to defend ourselves against um, an, ADA, an ADA potential lawsuit? So one of the things that you can do is, of course, just take steps to make sure that your website is, works with assistive technologies. Um, it's not that hard to do. It takes some careful planning and a lot of research. Um, but it's not a, a huge technical burden to try and make your website accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I think typically what we do in user experience is we always want to look at who's using the website. So we want to understand who that audience is. And I think in a lot of cases, like, you know, and I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, these teams that may be like going through lawsuits at the moment, companies, they had a UX team that worked on personas and tried to understand like who that end audience, target audience was. The thing is, is that, you know, interestingly enough, it's like even going that far and trying to understand the customer and their needs and requirements for the site that, you know, these users with disabilities might be disregarded. So it's something that needs to begin to be included in that because it's like it's already a part of our process. We always want to have empathy for that end user, but we need to go beyond just individuals who might like, you know, we might need to increase the contrast ratio. Now we need to think about devices, assistive technologies that we need to take into consideration so that the site's actually accessible. So, Yeah, and, and so you mentioned contrast ratio ratios. What are some of the... Um, main um, elements that are overlooked when we're talking about accessibility? What are some of the things? I mean, if, if I'm a small business owner, for example, and I, I, I listen to this episode and I, I think, oh, I, I don't want to be sued for the ADA, uh, for, to be in, for being in violation of the ADA, um, what are some things that you can kind of start looking at? What are some of the things to focus on? Well, the first thing that I would look at is make sure that uh, your headers are structured in a way that describe your content structure well. Um, there was a survey done earlier this year of, of people who are using uh, screen readers, uh, and 65% of them look at the headings first, the headings of the section to decide 
where they should go in order to navigate a page. Um, and if your labels aren't clear for your sections, uh, then it is hard for them to perceive what's inside there. And they don't know if that's where they need to be. I know I'm guilty of, you know, uh, sometimes trying to write a clever headline, not professionally, I do this <laughs> for my own websites. Um, and the, maybe the, 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 the clarity of the headline doesn't come in until you've read the first part of the paragraph. Well, that's not helpful at all for someone who's using your he headlines to decide um, what where the information they need is. Yeah, if they should read further or not, right? Right. So it's really important to make those clear and make them structured properly. So in HTML, you have different levels of heading. You have their H1, H2, all the way through H6. And in the past, it was a common practice to use those H1, H2 tags for style purposes, right? Not necessarily for document structure purposes. And that was a really bad practice for screen readers. So the important thing is to keep them structured properly, uh, in, uh, the correct level of nesting. Think of it as an outline of the page. Yeah, you hear that SEOs out there, um, he's speaking for us. The, the, the H1s matter having not only target keywords, but being explicit about what, uh, what can be found in a particular section that's important to screen readers and, and to, to users um, with, with potential disabilities. Yeah. Um, is there anything else, Cynthia? You mentioned contrast ratios. Um, I think there's probably designers out there that out there that are saying, "Oh, you're you're limiting me. You're you know what? What are we gonna do? <laughs> you know, what would you say in terms of, of of making a site still beautiful and 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 appealing while balancing that with contrast ratios? Is there a, a, a magic formula? Is there a magic formula? Um, I wouldn't say there's a magic formula, but I think it's like, like anything, you know, I think going back to like, what's the role of the designer or creative uh, in this industry? It's like, we're not artists. It's like, we're solving problems. And, you know, we need to look at the user again. And it's like empathize with them and say, what's really going to work for them? I think, I think it's dependent on the site. Um, again, you know, we know, though, that separate is not equal, so we don't want to create a highly experiential version of the site and then one that's really static and just kind of like just a you know bucket of information. So we need to really look at it and find out where that middle ground is to still create a dynamic and engaging website. But on the back side, it's like it's and, and on the front end, too, it's developed so that users with all types of capabilities um, can come to the site and actually achieve the task you know there's a reason why people go to a site and and there's also recorded instances you know in these in these cases where it's like people come to a site to do something like purchase purchase something in particular you know it's kind of a slap in the face when a user arrives on the site and you know they want they're ready to purchase like dominoes and they can't find the buy button yeah you know so it doesn't matter how cool the site is it's like if they can't complete that, so that, that we think of that the same way for users who have like you know the ability to see or to you know whatever it might be. Um, you just it, it, you can't you have to keep in mind that it's like there's a purpose for the site. It's not art, right? You know, it yeah. serves a purpose. There's a function behind it. Yeah. So Donovan, whenever we were um, in in the pre-show meeting, um, you mentioned that the current state of web web accessibility in the U.S. is pretty abysmal. Um, is there anything? I mean, is there any relief on the way? I mean, do we do we foresee anything changing? Well, you know, it, it, it's funny. We do a lot of research and investigation on our own about accessibility. We don't have a lot of clients coming to us clamoring for accessibility, even though I think word of the 
uh, you know, the the increase increasing uh, number of litigation, the amount of litigation around this is is clear to everyone. Uh, a lot of people still are taking a wait and see approach. Let's you know wait and see what happens with the Supreme Court, for example. That's a fairly recent development, but uh, you know most of the lawsuits are happening in certain states. Um, one or two states are responsible for probably ninety percent of the lawsuits. So uh, I think companies that aren't based in those states are are less concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to put a put a pin in the motivations of of why people aren't making websites accessible. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's obviously the the legal implica- implications or potential legal implications of um, of not having an accessible website. But really, I mean, from even from an ethical standpoint, like it, this is it starts to become an ethical issue, right? Like we want to provide the best experience to to everybody, right? Not just right. not just a select few. Um, so I think that's important to, to, to consider. Yeah. Cause if you think about it and just like looking at some of the research, you know, it's like you think about people who are like mobile users. So mobile users who might have disabilities. So it's like, and a lot of times it's like, you know, if you pare down a site experience for mobile, if it's responsive and it kind of, you know, scales down a bit, then it's like, what is it doing for individuals who, you know, can't access that content or that site? through a device, it's like you're really kind of painting them into a corner, you know? Yeah, so, um, you know, we talked a little bit about contrast ratios. We talked about headings. I know another big one is a font size, minimum font Mm -hmm. size, just to make sure that... um, to make sure that that your site is is legible and and accessible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is there any... No, I was going to say, and that's a lot of the stuff we consider just in general for all audiences. And we want to ensure that it's like it's it's a legible site. So that's kind of like top level, high level stuff, you know, it's a pain on the house. (laughs) Yeah, right. But, you know, yeah. So is there anywhere, I mean, we're we're talking about all these elements. Is there anywhere where there uh, are some guidelines or standards that we can go and, 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 um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, Consult to make sure that we're, you know, in the clear in terms of ADA compliance. There's a, so there, just back up one second because it's not ADA compliance. It's not really explicit in the law yet. So what we do is we conform to a standard. It's an industry defined standard. Um, you've got a lot of uh, experts from different organizations uh, that have come together uh, and established these guidelines for, for building websites. It's called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines or WCAG usually. Um, and they're on uh, version 2.0 of the standard right now. They're uh, 2.1s in draft mode. It'll be out soon. It's not significantly different from 2.0. But what the WCAG standard does is define a series of success criteria, a little, bit, little over 100 different tests that you can use to evaluate your website and see if it's uh, and, and see if it if it's accessible. Yeah, if it, if, if it, yeah, that, I'm glad you corrected me in the compliance versus conformance, um, because. You know, and then to clear, I guess, clear it up, the United States doesn't have uh, a law currently, right. an explicit law currently. But I believe you mentioned that is the so EU and some other countries the might. The EU does. I believe Canada does. The UK has their own. They've established their own laws. And most of the countries that have established laws around this have have uh, adopted the WCAG 2.0 guidelines. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I guess what we're saying is if, if you're out there... Um, looking to make your website accessible, a good place to start is to become familiar with the WCAG um, guide 2.0 level guidelines. That's right. Now, um, there is a there is a 1.0 guideline and a 3.0 guideline. Can you talk a little bit about how they 
vary or differ, or do I have that right? So, so uh, no, there's there's three levels of, of, of conformance with each of the specifications. There's A, AA, and AAA, and they are progressively more difficult to achieve. What we recommend that most of our clients go for is 2A, because we, we suspect that when a law does come out, that's the specification that they're going to target. Yeah. We don't know for sure, but that's where we think we'll be. And if you're doing WCAG 2.02A, <laughs> uh, there's a very good chance that you're going to be conformant regardless of what they decide the rules should be. Got it. So, and if if potential litigation does occur, if you can point to the fact that you're com- conformant to the WCAG 2A guidelines, mm-hmm. you probably have a better chance of coming through that unscathed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so for for... You know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, things to look for. Can we talk, you know, before we go, can we talk a little bit about maybe there's a couple tips that you would say? Are there tools or anything like that that, you know, again, there's a listener out there who um, is managing his company's website and is is panicking because he's not, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in in compliance with the ADA or worried he's not in compliance with ADA. What would you say, you know, where can this maybe not so technical fella get out there and start? Um, so um, the, the headlines is a really good tip. I mean, that, that's super important. Um, there's two more or three more that I, I'd say are just basic things you have to have done. Um, so in addition to the headlines, your link text is really important. Um, a lot of times you'll see websites that have maybe multiple news items listed on a page, and there'll be a, the title of the news item, then some body text, and then a, a link. And the link says, read more. And you <laughs> click on that, and it takes you to more about, about that particular story. Um, but the problem is a lot of people, when they're using assistive technologies, will navigate through the links. They'll just tab from one to the next until they find one that, that they're looking for. Well, when the screen reader reads them off, it just says, read more, read more, read more, read more. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to read more about. <laughs> right. So it's important to have descriptive text in your links as well. Um, next, you want to make sure you don't have keyboard traps. Um so since people who are using screen readers aren't going to be using a mouse, they're going to be using their keyboard to navigate, you want to make sure that as they tab through the page, there's no mechanism on your page, you know, maybe a fancy search box or something like that, that causes the user to get into a, an endless loop up at the top of the page and they can't get to a lower portion of the page. So making sure you don't have keyboard traps would be number three. Um, there are tools to help with, with some of these things. There's... Uh, uh, plugins for most of the browsers now that will test accessibility. They do a great job of testing some things like font size, contrast ratio. Do you have alt tags on your images? That's another important one. Yeah. They can test those things. Um, but there's a lot of the success criteria from the WCAG standard that they can't test. Like going back to the headlines, are your headlines descriptive of the content? Uh, these, these tools can't check that. You've right. got to have a human go through and, and, and make sure they're correct. Um, going forward, you need to establish policies for the people who are maintaining your website. You know, a lot of companies will go and have a, uh, someone build a website for them, and then they'll maintain it themselves with a, with a CMS, right? So you need to make sure that the in-house people are going to continue the best practices that your developers put forth to, for making sure that your, your, your content is accessible, that everything's tagged properly. Um, because if it's not maintained, it's just going to fall apart. Awesome. 
Well, uh, actually, one quick plug. Uh, Donovan has a really good article on the Brand Extract website about accessibility, and, and goes, I think it goes into a little bit more detail about some of the, the finer points of accessibility and the, uh, the WCAG guidelines. So I would uh, encourage everybody out there to go check that out. Uh, but I think uh, we've covered the topic pretty thoroughly today, so I want to thank you guys very much for your time. Donovan, Cynthia, thanks for joining us, uh, and thank you out there for, uh, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this installment of Solving for B. Hopefully, we helped you get a better sense of the complexities of web accessibility and how it can impact your brand. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and don't forget to subscribe. If you're interested in previous episodes or want more branding insights, check out brandextract.com. Thanks again for listening to Solving for B with Brand Extract.